Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Today, come join Georgie Wolf and I on the couch for an intimate and honest chat about sex work. We're talking about it both as clients and sex workers, and a lot of it feels like you've just joined a couple of hookers on the couch, which, if you haven't tried it, is definitely something I'd recommend. But as Georgie points out, do your research. And because, as I point out, booking a sex worker can be every bit as complicated as booking a counsellor. This was recorded at the start of the year, and interestingly, neither of us are actively doing sex work right at the moment. But I'm super excited to share this conversation with you now, because one of Georgie's other projects is uh, just coming into fruition. They're launching their book, The Art of the Hookup, in Melbourne on September 17th. More on that and on Georgie's coaching services after the conversation. Links are also in the show notes. I have with me today Georgie Wolf. Georgie, thanks for coming in again. Hello. It is so good to see you again, Roger. <laughs> um, we were having chats. You have written a course on, like, as I understand it, guidance on how to engage and work with a sex worker. Yes. So I'm an escort. I've eight years' experience, and I've written a few courses on how to um, approach and book and see sex workers. Great. And so that just got me really super excited about the whole topic. So I just wanted to have a kind of a bit of a freestyle rave about sort of sex work and seeing sex workers. And I sort of want to invite us to both speak as sex workers and also we've been clients and also to speak about our experiences with clients. So this is, so I just gave you my intro, Rog. If I can ask you, give me your intro, like, you know, who are you around your sex work stuff? Who am I talking to? Oh, nice switch. Um, so yeah, I have been a sex worker for, I think six or seven years when I made the decision that I was going to get into sex positivity, I actually assumed that most of what I'd be doing was sex work. Uh, and for a while it was, but my workshops, um, have wound up becoming super exciting for me and, uh, seemingly others are getting some juice out of them. So I've wound down my sex work, um, a lot, um, I also looked at it from another perspective, most of my training is in psychology and honestly I think sex work and psychology, like the counselling environment, the counselling session, I often think they are almost the same, obviously the only difference being that uh, in one of them touch is appropriate and in one of them you're working on certain types of issues, i.e. sexuality. So I feel like in terms of doing one-on-one -on -one sessions I've been doing that and trained in that for quite a lot longer, but um, yeah. I do think we bring a lot of our skills through into our sex work. So definitely the counselling training that I did came right through into have, my sex work. Have you done counselling training as well? I did. Uh, I studied with Lifeline to be a crisis phone counsellor. Huh. Yeah, I never completed the probationary period because I moved to Melbourne. Um, but I got through the training. It was great. I got on the phones for a while, which is wonderful. And I have used all those skills, both in my personal life and with clients, wow. up to and including um, suicide crisis counselling. I've had to, to counsel a couple of clients um, in that situation. All this stuff is super useful. So for me, I do feel like a lot of psychology and a lot of counselling work comes into it. I don't know if it would be the same for someone that maybe didn't have that background. Maybe they'd take a different approach. Yeah, by way of um, putting a caveat around this conversation, I want to say that even though I feel like 
this is true for a lot of sex workers in that counselling and sex work cross over a lot for a lot of people. At the same time, that's not representative of the entire sex work industry. Um, there's a lot of people who wouldn't relate to this style of approach to sessions. More accurately, I might say that emotional labour is a really, really big component of sex work. And for us, that might look like psychology or counselling because that's what we're trained in. But for other sex workers, it looks like things like making their clients feel accepted, making them feel safe, um, setting good boundaries, mm. um, negotiating sessions, listening to people, all the kind of things that um, for regular people that they wouldn't call counselling but that are definitely work and definitely something that you need to be skilled at in order to do sex work well. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I like the parallel and I like that you talk about Lifeline. Um, I don't know what it's been like with your client base but I know I often work with people who are having sometimes a level of experience and I guess in lay terms like a freak out or something like that which is typical of someone who's in for an acute counseling session and I feel like the skills to handle them are all like it's just all same same obviously not all sessions go in that direction but again just so much crossover of the skills. I do actually feel like a lot of people present at uh, sex work sessions that would probably get a lot of benefit out of counsellors. And there's a sort of, this might be a little bit stereotypical, but there's sort of this idea that um, that men are culturally raised to um, only be allowed to open up emotionally to someone they're having sex with. So where, where someone, and may, you know, maybe this is across genders, but I feel like this is particularly guys, feel that they can't open up about their feelings and emotions to a counsellor when they can open up to a sex worker because yeah. they've just had sex. And that, that's really fucking shit that they can't do that. And I think it's awful that we live in a society where guys are so shut down around their feelings. But I also think that it gives uh, – it means that for sex workers, there's this amazing opportunity um, that uh, to provide this sort of service and this sort of care that men cannot find anywhere else or can't get acceptably anywhere else. And it's actually a really important function. So thinking that, you know, that sex work is something casual or uh, or light or sort of some sort of – pastime, I think it, it actually can be a really important um, place to do emotional work. I remember the first time I ever dated a sex worker was when I was 23. I'm 46 now, uh, so obviously that was 86% of my life ago. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I remember they were talking about, it was the first time I'd heard the idea that sometimes clients would come in just for a hug or just to sit and chat or just to debrief their day or something like that. Obviously, massive crossover into counselling and emotional support. I feel like we we sort of put a lot of pressure on sex to provide all our needs and often when we seek out sex we're actually looking for other things we're looking for validation or we're looking for people telling us we're sexy we're looking to be listened to uh, all that stuff but we, we don't sort of realize we just sort of go to get laid and hope it'll satisfy all our needs and then sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't depending on whether those other needs that we haven't mentioned are met also yeah a good sex worker will work it out so it, you sort of tune into what your client what you think your client might be actually looking for, even though they're not actually asking. Um, but it's a bit hit and miss. It's much better when clients just come out in the beginning and say, hey, look, I just really need some hugs and I just want someone to talk to my day about so I don't feel so alone. Um, anyone that has that level of awareness around what they need is an absolute blessing. Oh, that would be um, – does it happen very often? I imagine in my experience it would be hard oh, coughing up that level of honesty or transparency – about what you want or even just knowing what you want. 
to someone you've just met in particular or someone you haven't even met yet. If you're just sending an email or a message to a sex worker to book a session, it's pretty hard to open up to a complete stranger and there are no guarantees that they're going to be sympathetic. Um, a good sex worker will be, but everyone's different in their approach. So, yeah, like you're taking a risk putting yourself out there. And so, so stepping now into the role of clients, speaking about myself as a client on one of the occasions where I've seen a sex worker, I remember one time in particular I tried to do a good job of being really transparent about what I wanted and it was something that they hated with a passion and I was really shamed for it and had a really difficult experience from it. And this is the thing, right, that it's hard to make generalizations either about clients or about workers because everyone really does have their own way and everyone has a different level of professionalism. Um, so teaching people to find what they need is really important. And also if I was to so stepping out of the role of client, now looking at myself from a coach perspective, I would say, Come on, Rog, you probably weren't going to get that from that particular style of sex work in that particular way and location and time. So maybe you needed to be a little smarter about choosing the right place and space for the things you're after. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to cover my awkwardness by crossing to you with a question, <laughs> uh, around, uh, so what are your tips on how people should approach, um, the question of, of what they want from a sex worker? So if I were to put my coach hat on, so I've produced a few courses that teach clients how to see sex workers. And I also do client coaching, which is when I speak to someone on the phone about what, about what they want out of their escort booking. And then I sort of guide them in the right direction. So what you've described is actually really common, people wanting something, but they're not being sure exactly how to get it and perhaps trying to get it from someone that isn't going to give it to them or worse, that might actually react badly. Um, if I were to put my coaching hat on and give you advice for your particular situation, the first thing I'd say is, uh, look, everyone's different. It's really hard to predict. So, like, please don't shame yourself too much because it didn't go well mm, because it doesn't yeah. always go perfectly. Sometimes it's all experimentation. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you extend an offer or you go to the person that you think is right for you and it doesn't work out. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or with them. It just means it was a mismatch you write it off and you try again. Same as dating, same as getting a new job, same mm -hmm. as a bunch of stuff. The first one doesn't always work and it doesn't mean you're necessarily doing something too far wrong. And the second thing that I would say is that doing a lot of background research is a really great way to make sure you're finding the right sex worker. So I think that a lot of people approach seeing a sex worker the same way they approach getting laid. They don't think too hard about it and they just rush ahead and hope for the best. And that doesn't work out when you're seeing a sex worker. It doesn't work out when you're getting laid generally either um, because you do need to be very, very specific about what you're looking for. Um, and there are so many different types of workers. You need to go to the right person. And the way you do that is by doing your research beforehand. So getting an idea of what you need, going usually online um, and looking for the right person. Um, really asking questions that will tell you whether that person is firstly able to provide you what you want and secondly is professional because again the industry is like any other industry you have this full range of people from beginners to really professional people it's like hiring a tradie sometimes you get a good one sometimes you get a shit one um, you need to do your research first and make sure that they're right so there's a few very specific questions you can ask to sort of uh, fill people out and work out whether they're right before you go straight in for that big question that's really vulnerable and that would be my probably my advice to you in that situation yeah I feel like the more time that elapses between the moment you decide you're going to see a sex worker and the time you see a sex worker, the better it's going to be because A, you will have had time to admit that that's something you're doing and make some peace with that, particularly if it's one of the first times you've done 
uh, seen a sex worker. Uh, also, yeah, it's going to give you the time to do the research and ask the questions and the more dialogue you have, not all workers are willing to have a great deal of dialogue because uh, emotional labor starts to feel like unpaid emotional labor after a certain point in time. But the more you're able to have that dialogue and confirm you're on the same page, and this is where it does start to sound a lot like dating and sex normally, the better it's going to go. My, my line is, it is a lot like dating. You really do need to sound out the other person, have that conversation, and the more you're able to have that conversation, up to a reasonable point, you can't swap 10 messages with someone that you haven't paid yet. But sending a really clear message and getting a really clear one back, that sort of thing. So this is the reason I usually encourage people to plan ahead, to book someone well ahead, um, and to really have a good think about it rather than just rush in on a whim or go, I'm horny now, so I want someone now, because that really ends well it's it's funny because me as a worker now i have never seen a client straight away i don't answer the phone and i don't work that way uh at least 24 hours um communication uh beforehand has been an absolute minimum for me so why did i on the spur of the moment spontaneously turn up something i mean it wasn't quite like that but it wasn't far from it and then get surprised when it didn't work out that well huh i think that's on me I feel like I'd love some context on this if it's something that you wanted to go into. Like, and, and also, before we get into that, is it worth actually uh, talking about what sex work actually is just so that people have a bit of a context? Yeah, let's do a, um, let's do a, let's do a little – let's bounce off each other. Let's give a, uh, do a tag team examples on what sex work can be. Hell yeah. All right, so I'm going to start with um, massages that end in a happy ending. So, so places that aren't actually technically brothels, but are offering massage services that end in um, um, sexual relief. Okay, I'm just going to go straight to the obvious and go brothels, which are places where you turn up, meet a lot of workers, and then decide who you're going to stay with um, on the premises. Fantastic. Then there's escorting, uh, which depending on what state you're in and the worker involved could be at uh, your location or their location. So people that work independently and privately for themselves sometimes but not always have websites which describe the services they do and do not do. Then there's uh, porn performers who produce sexually explicit content with other performers but may not ever actually have any physical contact with the clients who consume their material. Then there's 50s husband and wife situations where it's an exchange of money for sex except you're never allowed to actually say that <laughs> out front and up loud. Yeah, no, we're not allowed to call that sex work but we know that it totally is, when, right? <laughs> and then there's things like um, like stripping and erotic dancing uh, where you might get dressed up and do some like shit hot pole moves and people may or may not touch you depending on your boundaries uh, but, uh, but there may not be anything that's considered a traditional sex act. Then there's sex surrogacy which people often use to refer to uh, sex work especially specialising in working with clients with different abilities or disabilities. Uh, that's not the only form of sex surrogacy, uh, but uh, yeah. Then there's pro-BDSM work, which is where people who specialise in fetish, kink and BDSM play can do sessions with you, and that may or may not involve anything that's traditionally considered sexual contact. Then there's street work, which is where I'm walking down the street in certain red light districts with a fair bit, bit of skin showing. You roll up in your car, I lean in the window. Hey, babe, what you're after? I love the amount of thigh that you just flashed then. That I don't was think great. it's going to come across rail in the radio format, but, you know, it was good to do. 
And then there are cam workers who are people that uh, perform sexually explicit uh, shows via webcam for people all over the world um, for varying rates. And again, without having any um, actual physical contact with the people who consume their work. And then there's sex educators where the work is done hands-on. Um, and it's a, a, it's a whole question there. A, a lot of those workers won't identify as sex workers. Uh, some of them may, but it's a situation where it's uh, about sexuality training. But sexuality training often includes touch and ecstatic states and orgasmic release. So from one perspective, it looks like sex work. There is sex involved and there is money involved. So I sort of feel like the best way to sum up all the things we've just discussed, and there may be other examples of sex work too that we haven't covered, is that sex work is the exchange of sex or sexually related services for some form of payment. And just to put this in context, I've been an escort for eight years, and I've also done some brothel work as well. Super. Hey there, listener. I'd like to make you a little proposal. I love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity. But I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode if that's not too absurd. For every 10 stories that you listen to, please recommend it to someone that might like it too. This is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. So, circling back around, um, it's actually a massive world to navigate. It's not surprising that there's sometimes a little bit of hit and miss in terms of what people are after and what they get and vice versa. Um, and it certainly speaks for the need to take the decision-making process carefully. The sex industry is this whole other world and it might seem really obvious to people that are in it, but to everyone else, it really is a bit of a black box sort of situation. So knowing how to get into the sex industry, how to uh, how to see a sex worker, it's, it's a bit of a puzzle to most people. And I do find that when most people start, they really don't know how to go about it. There are no rules and there's no information on how to do it properly. Can I ask a Q&A question to us both? Uh, can you think of a time where it's gone well? Like what's been a what's been a peak moment or peak experience for you? I'm thinking as a worker. So many times when it's gone well. Give me just a second to think about that. Probably my favourite one recently, and this is going to sound a bit trivial, but I actually think it's not. So I had a um, an opinion piece published in the Sydney Morning Herald a couple of months ago, and then I got a call from this bloke who said, look, he was a bit of an, like an older bloke, and he said, it had never crossed my mind to see a sex worker, but then I read your article in the paper and I thought, bugger it, why not? So I went to his hotel room, we hung out, we talked, we got it on, he was lovely, and then he said, oh, yeah, that, that was pretty good, like, I'm glad I gave that a go. 
And so for, for him, it was a learning experience because he discovered that seeing a sex worker is something that ordinary people can do and often do do. And for me, I was just very happy that I just brought someone over to the dark side of realising that paying for sex is not a big deal and that it's actually pretty cool and it can be really fun. Um, yeah, that's a big win in my book. Mm. I actually can't think of any one specific example that captures when it goes well. Uh, there's been a few moments for me and I feel like so much of it is about undoing people's nerves and creating safety and removing the idea that I'm like whatever, whatever idea they have of what a sex worker is and what a sex worker does, just slowly working on rehumanizing myself uh, for them. Um, and so perhaps they can discover that I am also someone they can have a meaningful chat with. Um, Discovering that your sex worker is actually a person, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's a huge part of it. And it's, um, I think that, um, I don't think it's because people are necessarily whorephobic when they come in with an idea that you're, you're not a human, but there's just so many cultural references out there as to what a sex worker is, and very few of them are accurate. Uh, so it takes a lot of work for people to undo. So I must admit, I, with my psychology training, the edge I particularly like uh, playing at is around safely, cautiously negotiating the resilient edge uh, so the spot where an adventure wants to happen, but not like wildly crazily over that edge, just the spot that's appropriate and safe, because I feel like that's the one that's more likely to be sustainably integrated by the person. So I'm making an assumption that most of your clients would be female? That assumption is correct. Most of my uh, clients identify as uh, female or women. How do you think that um, that gender has an impact on how you negotiate uh, safety and the feeling of safety with your clients. I don't know if we handle it the same way, but I'd love to hear your approach because I feel like maybe that would be a, a gender sort of influenced uh, issue. So, yes, I think you're right. I think there are probably some differences. Um, I'm smiling because uh, before you mentioned that you made a joke that obviously you can't email your worker 10 times in my world. If I didn't have that level of communication with almost every client, I wouldn't have any clients because it takes that long to establish trust and safety because the client has to do so much work in overcoming their fear of me as a male presenting person that I would be anything other than a predatory, nasty, sex-crazed maniac um, and whatever stereotypes have got, not just of sex workers, but also of men, you put them together <laughs> and that's a lot of trust and safety that has to be overcome. Uh, so I think a difference there for me is, um, uh, yeah, it takes more work to engender trust and safety. Um, but I think one of the things that's much easier about my work is that because there's less examples of male sex workers, especially male sex workers that mostly work with women, there's also much less limitation around what I can do in a session. So when I go to introduce something like the two-minute game in a session, that lands on a relatively blank slate in terms of what's meant to be happening here. Um, sometimes people expect me to be a Chippendale style of stripper. And uh, again, this is the radio medium. Um, 
So uh, <laughs> let's just say I'm not that person. <laughs> I don't know. That bit of fire you showed before was lovely. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like you're being very generous, Georgie. But, um, um, yeah, so I think I've got a lot more freedom to craft some weird creative shit in sessions. Uh, I think that male workers coming in to see female sex workers, particularly in the brothel environment, there's much more of a formula there. I do feel like seeing heterosexual male clients, that there is a certain – you know, there's this whole weight of uh, what sex should look like or what they assume it will look like, and a, a lot of stereotypes carried over from regular sex too. So we do have to work with and often against that, um, making suggestions like the two-minute game, uh, things like that. Look, I've done it, and I teach my clients how to safe word, things like that, um, but it's true that you're going against the grain because a lot of men have very specific expectations around what, what an escort does and what sort of services they provide and how it's all supposed to go. And if you want to do it differently, you do have to put a lot of work in. Yes. Uh, and I'm definitely not making a generalisation about men and women here, but I am making a generalisation about the way men and women are socialised, which is to say that I think um, a man is encouraged to regard a good sex session as one that's fairly dynamic and dramatic and has a bunch of different positions and is quite uh, physical and a person that's been socialized as a woman might be more likely to say well the engagement and the connection was really nice and we had some good chats and it fitted in really nicely with just some like uh, you know some interesting sex. And that's a real shame because I actually think that engagement and connection is one of the major factors in where the heterosexual male um, escort clients have a good time too, uh, often they just don't realise it. So we just concluded a week of me on Twitter having a big rant about feelings and how important they are to escort bookings. Um, and a lot of people are on top of that, but other people can be quite surprised because it's thought that you just go to an escort for sex, you don't go um, for any of your other needs, or if they're there, they're unconscious, you don't realise that you're going to an escort for company or for hugs or to feel loved. Um, and not acknowledging that stuff means you're much less likely to get it. So I think it, it, if more clients are aware that connection um, and liking the person that you're spending time with um, is important, I think that they would start having much better sessions. Um, this is almost like a level of question that um, I would not like asked of me um, as a sex worker, especially if I was being asked by a non-sex worker, when's it gone badly? So I'd like to preface this answer by saying that you should never ask your sex worker whether they've had a bad experience. Um, uh, sometimes clients will ask thinking that they're being caring by asking, oh, you know, has anyone ever treated you badly in the past with this job? But the thing is, um, there's an assumption that it has happened because sex work is dangerous and that assumption is wrong. And the second problem is that if anything bad has happened to them in the past, you don't want to hear about it because those clients won't have the emotional skills to care for someone who's talking about their traumatic experience. It's an incredible double bind, that situation of the, the client that wants to be a caring person, but at the same time, they're paying you for a service. So not only do they have, shall we say, like a right to be selfish and have the session to be around them, as you say, they're not in a position to hold you should you actually cough up anything that's a difficult story. It's such a bind. I feel like it comes up again with clients around um, uh, clients that say something like, I want you to enjoy this, I want it to be good for you. It's like, of course you do, you're a good person. But at the same time, that would take years of training and, um, um, and it's, um, it's complicated. This is a tricky area around boundaries. So, yes, sex work is is a situation where you as the client get the opportunity to ask for what you want. But there are a lot of people out there who really enjoy their partner's pleasure. But, of course, um, negotiating that is tricky because 
you can't demand someone else enjoy themselves. You can only do best. There is no such thing as paying to make someone else feel something. You're only paying to give yourself the opportunity to be in a situation where certain things might occur that you're going to enjoy. Um, so putting too much pressure on your escort to, uh, you know, to orgasm or to enjoy themselves or to have an amazing time or to look like they are can actually really kill the mood. Uh, I yeah. feel quite strongly about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually a little bit – we're going to get back to that question in a moment. But um, it's actually a little bit like – the, the way it is in sex, I often feel like people get this wrong with oral sex in particular. So one version of oral sex is like, um, okay, I'm going to give you oral sex. This is all about you. I, I'm just your servant. I want you to give me directions and guidance. I, not, only am I, not only am I not going to take that badly, I'm going to take it well. I'm like an automaton. Uh, I want it to be for you. I want it to to go wherever you want to go. And for me, it's just an honour to serve uh, and be of use to you. So that's one version of oral sex. The other version is I want to take oral from you. I would like use of your junk for the next, like, I don't know, 15 to 20 minutes. Um, I really don't care what happens for you. I don't care about your experience. I don't want it to be painful or uncomfortable. Or if you're out of the role, let me know. That's fine. Um, but I couldn't give a fuck about your arousal. And I sure as shit don't need you to come. I, on the other hand, am probably going to be playing with myself at the same time. And I probably will come. Can I use your junk? To be honest, both those scenarios sound lovely. Absolutely. My- so long as you're clear. And if you think you're giving head, but in fact you're taking head or... Uh, the other way around, and so your partner feels forced to be in pleasure. Same as with a sex worker, it's complicated, it just doesn't work. So the bad situation for this one is when I say to partners or clients, look, um, oral is great, but I'm probably not going to come because it just doesn't get me there. And they say, well, I'm great at oral, so I'm going to change that for you. And then halfway through they say, so you're close yet? And at that point, the chances of me having an orgasm is pretty much zero. So that's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure. They're putting pressure on themselves to do something that I've told them won't happen. Then they're putting pressure on me to orgasm and there's nothing worse. There's nothing more guaranteed to stop someone from actually having an orgasm than go, oh, have you, have you come yet? Yeah. No pressure. But And so in some ways it's just a more congruent exchange. I feel like giving the client permission to say, hey, you know what? You've paid really good money and you've done a lot of effort to get to this point in time. This is for you. Just enjoy. And I have actually had clients that have said that, that have said, look, I love going down on women. Like, I'm not too fast. As long as you're comfortable and you're happy, I'm just going to go to town and that's going to be delightful for me. And that's that's lovely because they're enjoying themselves so much. It's beautiful. I can really enjoy that. And there's no pressure to act a certain way. Beautiful. So coming back to the question around um, have there been times where sex work hasn't gone well? Yeah, so I'm sure they have and I'm just going to sit here for a minute and think about it. Would you like me to wait respectfully or would you like me to answer my answer to that question? Yeah, give me your answer and I'll, I'll have mine by the, time we've, by the time we get there. Okay, great. Um, the time that comes to mind was a time when I was coerced into a situation when I was told something was going to be different to what it was. Uh, I, as a sex worker, was being purchased for someone else uh, as a birthday present and I had understood that they knew completely about it. There was a language barrier between me and the person making the booking um, and, and apparently an, an impassable language barrier between the person that would actually be receiving the experience. So I was never able to talk with them directly. Uh, I was assured, like I was lied to, that they were basically reading my 
emails and we're completely transparent about everything. Um, and also I had agreed to, uh, well, basically I'll be offering a um, massage and then that'll get to a more intimate massage, so genital massage, and that's basically the service. Um, but then when I got there to the booking, to the hotel room, it was more of a case of surprise and I was um, walked in and the other person had absolutely no idea so uh, of it, that anything was happening, let alone the parameters. So in retrospect, you know how you don't always realise you've been violated until it happens? In retrospect, that's the moment where I needed to exit that session and frankly I really wish I had. Um, but it takes a little while to realise just how off the rails things are going to go. Um, so I, across a very complicated language barrier, attempted to explain the system of green, orange and red, and I was reasonably comfortable that we had a basic thumbs up and thumbs down system uh, with the person uh, that I was uh, giving a massage to. So we began, and all of their signals to touch were like ticklish responses, which is often like an overloaded nervous system. It's a nervous system which is saying no on some level. Um, and I thought I'd hang out with that for a little longer. And then at a certain point in time, it became clear that what the, the middle party, what the person who had booked me had in mind was actually a threesome, and they started moving things in that direction and so I started moving things away from that direction and that was the end of the shittiest session I have had. I'm so sorry you had that experience. I've actually found that when things go horribly wrong, it's often with couples bookings because there's more than one person involved, the potential for that dynamic to not be right and the potential for the communication to not be spot on is really bad. Yeah, so like if I was, yeah, thank you. So a, a tip for myself around that would be um, the only possible way in the world this is going to happen is if all three of us are in on the same email conversation or preferably verbal phone call. Uh, and if you're saying that the other person is on board with what's being discussed, what possible reason would you have to not have them in on a communication? So yeah, easy take home. I had a similar experience once where I had a gentleman call up wanting to organise a threesome with his wife. And my principle is I won't have uh, I won't organise a booking unless I can speak to both parties. And generally I prefer that the if it's a heterosexual couple that the female contacts me and organises the booking. I see a lot of couples and usually it's the woman who organises them with me. But in this case, this gentleman was very resistant to me speaking to his wife. I had to really put my foot down about it um, before he'd let me put her, uh, get her on the phone. And when I did, it turned out that she wasn't really – into the whole idea. It's just that he had badgered her over and over and over until she just thought it would be easier to shut up and do it. And that really sucks. There are lots of couples out there that are both really keen on having a threesome. I meet them all the time. I see a lot of couples. Usually, Often it's the woman's idea as well. But in this case, it was only his idea. And he'd harassed her so much that she was just going to give up and give in. And she wasn't even into other ladies. She's like, oh, you know, is it okay if I just pretend to find you sexy because I really don't really like women. I don't really want to do this. And I said, look, that's not okay. You shouldn't have to do anything you don't want to do. The fact that he was pushing her means it, it was coercive. It wasn't okay. Um, and he was also saying things like, uh, oh, don't worry about her objections. Once she turns up, we'll just like get her to have a couple of drinks and then everything will be fine. Oh, my God. Talk about rapey culture. That is super rapey. 
Wow. Yeah. So at that point, that's crossing the line. That is a massive violation of her person. Um, if she was drunk, I would consider that sexual assault. Um, I understand that sometimes we do things for our partners. They might have a kink or a fetish or an interest that we're not 100% into, but because it makes them happy, we will go along and help them out. And that is not the situation in this case. He was really pushing her to do something that she did not want to do. So I didn't go through with that. But that was probably my worst experience with regards to bad behaviour. And it's the couples, um, not because there's anything wrong with it, but because when there's more than one person involved, things can get a little bit complicated. And if um, anyone's not good at communicating, things can go really horribly wrong. Things are really complicated in threesomes full stop. Totally. Uh, it's just like they, they look like they're always going to be free and easy and amazing and what a, what a rockin' time. Uh, but in practice, there's just like limbs and hands and heads everywhere and too much information coming into the body and you don't know what's going on. Um, they're dying for a little structure. But, um, yeah, every now and again they work well and smoothly. But for the most part, they're just really complicated. I love threesomes. They're about my favourite thing in the entire world. But they take a certain level of skills. I I love playing indulgent time in the middle with more than uh, one other person. <laughs> structure. structure. It's all about the structure. structure. Um, and, yeah, you add into the mix there um, sex work and, uh, gee, it's complicated. One thing I do find is that um, good consent skills, such as the type used in uh, BDSM, so your traffic light safe word systems, green, orange and red, um, are really useful with sex work, but they're particularly useful with couples. So I use the traffic light safe words with all the couples I see because it gives them a really quick way to signal discomfort. Whereas when you're with two people, it might be harder to keep an eye on everyone and make sure that they're comfortable. Um, so in that way, I sort of consider threesomes a bit of a higher level sex skill, a bit like BDSM or a bit like going to a sex party. You want a higher level of sex skills to navigate that. Hmm, but they're super. great. Super. Um, and I'm thinking as one of our last questions, we did a little bounce off before around uh, what types of sex workers are out there. Let's do one for what type of clients are out there. Oh, my God. I feel like this is going to get all stereotypical and stuff. I'll try, and, I'll try not to do that. Um, I'd like to begin with the person who has not yet lost their virginity and is curious to do so and wants it to happen in a controlled, contained, reasonably safe uh, environment, uh, also where they're unlikely to be humiliated or embarrassed. Uh, the person who works a shift job or a job that takes them away for a long time, that means they have no time to form a relationship but still need to get laid when they're home. Mm. Uh, very closely related to that, um, anyone that's intensely involved in work, particularly work that has a lot of hours and just doesn't have time for, um, shall we say, unpaid relationships, and it's actually just a lot neater and cleaner and more tidy uh, to have defined clear times of paid relationship? Uh, people who are in sexless marriages but who for sometimes very valid reasons can't leave the relationship. Uh, people who are kink or BDSM specialists and who are a long way down that path and find it hard to find people with a high enough level of skill to play with amongst the standard, say, Tinder community. Uh, couples who want a threesome but have trouble finding a single lady who'll do that with them. Anyone that wants more sex than what they're having. Because sometimes you just get horny. <laughs> sometimes you do. <laughs> sex workers 
who want to see other sex workers. I think I'm out of client ideas now. I think. I'm- oh, I could just keep going and going. Definitely sex workers who'd like to see other sex workers. Um, people who struggle with mental illness, um, social anxiety, um, who might be on the spectrum and who might want a safe environment to practice their social and sexual skills. People who are in a different country to their normal country. People who want to learn more about their body and how it functions, uh, either stuff like um, um, erection control, like like lessening of or more of, or orgasm control or learning how to orgasm. So more like the academic, technical side of learning about your body. Uh, people who want to ask for something in a similar vein that's a bit out of the ordinary and are afraid of being shamed by a regular person. People who thought they were going to see their architect and walked into the wrong door and just went, hey, while I'm here. I would love it if that happened to me, but it hasn't yet. (laughs) (laughs) So, Georgie, is there anything else, lastly, you'd like to say about sex work or being a sex worker or being a client? I think what I would like to say is that learning to see sex workers is a skill and that you're not expected to get it perfectly the first time around. Um, And also that if you're interested in learning more about it, I do run a series of online courses that are aimed at people who are starting out. And I do also offer client coaching so that if you don't know how to do things or if you're just terrified and need someone to uh, give you a bit of support while you're getting out there, um, that that service is is available. Okay. And um, are you happy to say where people can find you as a sex worker? Yeah, so I can be found uh, via my website, which is georgiewolf.com. You can also find me on Twitter where I post a lot of my thoughts around um, escorting and client skills and social skills, that sort of thing. Uh, And you can get a hold of all my email and contact details via my website. Super. Thank you so much for coming in and talking like so honestly and so personally about your experiences. Um, Yeah. You too. Thank you for sharing so much. So that's been Georgie Wolf and I chatting about sex work. Um, just in case it didn't come across, for the most part, I just wanted to say I've adored being a sex worker. I'm not hooking at the moment, but I really miss it. Uh, and also there's a clarification I'd like to make. Uh, I said that sex work is a lot like counselling. Uh, Maybe I said that a couple of times. What I meant was that uh, some sex work, and certainly most of the sex work I did, uh, was a lot like counselling, with many of the same ethics and issues relating to doing no harm and providing a holistic service and things like that. Uh, Except, obviously, it was an environment where (laughs) touch was possible and appropriate. Uh, That's just me, though. Not everyone would see things that way, and I didn't mean to speak for everyone. Now, on to Georgie. Uh, So yeah, they've written a book called The Art of the Hookup. It's about so much more than just getting laid. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, It's a great primer on sex positivity, but also about self-development and relationship skills. I feel like Georgie and I are schooled in some very similar ethics and approaches, and I'm a mad fan of this book. I strongly, warmly recommend it, and I think it'll do good things for the world. You can either buy it or buy a ticket to its launch, uh, which is in Brunswick, Melbourne, on September the 17th. Um, Easiest way is to look for the link that's in the show notes, but it's at the uh, the website is artofthehookup.com. 
Um, also, you can find the coaching services that Georgie referred to, uh, where they help you as a client navigating the not always straightforward world of sex work. Uh, and again, the link there is in the show notes. Now, a tiny bit about my upcoming workshops. Thanks, Sydney and Brisbane. You were a blast. Tess and I had a great time sharing our workshops with you. Thanks for coming along. Uh, For you interstate folks, if you're wanting to come to the Curiosity Party, uh, in October we're doing the workshop for new people on Friday the 11th of October, followed by the party and the debrief the very next day, uh, so as to make it as easy and cheap as possible for you. Some tickets are still available to that, but uh, not many, I admit. For those of you already in Melbourne or willing to travel, we've got some new and juicy stuff coming up. There's four workshops I'd like to tell you about. Firstly, Tess and I recently started offering a workshop called Opening Up to Opening Up. It's all about the things you need to think about if you're considering or are already in uh, any form of non-monogamous relationship. For a one-day workshop, it's pretty chunky. There's one this coming week on September the 7th, then on November the 3rd, and then in 2020 on February 22nd. Secondly, there's a public version, as in everyone's welcome, of Curiously Social Creatures on Thursday, October the 10th. Uh, You get to play Q&A for a couple of hours. It's super fun. It's a great way to get to know people. And it's a purely conversational sort of thing. And it's a really nice, cheap, accessible way to uh, have a nice uh, night out. Tickets are normally $20 there. Thirdly, on October the 26th is Playing With Your Power. Uh, This is a purely psychological or like self-development workshop. And I only run this once a year. But I adore this content. Uh, It's all about power and privilege, but we don't just look at structural privilege, which is the main one that gets attention. We also explore your physical, psychological, and scientific or spiritual privileges, which adds a level of nuance and complexity to the conversation that I believe are the missing pieces. We look at the privileges you have and how you can share them, as well as the privileges you don't have and how you can emulate them. Fourthly, and lastly, in November, we're hosting five workshops by Martha Lee from Singapore. Martha is a major mover in the sex education world and will be running a cuddle party and workshops on fellatio, pleasuring pussies, pleasuring penises, and orgasmic breathwork. You can find details to all of these workshops on our website, which is curiouscreatures.biz, B-I-Z, and also the uh, links to everything I've spoken about are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. You're ace.